This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads here on WGVU Radio. For years, I've always wanted to go to India. Even as a child, I was attracted to the culture. But it's a big trip and very easy to put off. After years of hearing me say that I wanted to go, one of my dear friends invited my wife Teresa and me to attend the wedding of her son in Bombay, which is now called Mumbai. Fortunately, we just couldn't come up with enough reasons not to go. So we did, and it proved to be the adventure of a lifetime. Not only did we enjoy being spoiled by our friends during the course of the wedding festivities, but we were able to see some of India's holiest sites, as well as take a safari in the remote southern jungle. The mother of the groom who instigated all this is Madhuri Acharya, whom I've known through the interfaith community for a number of years now. She and I had been planning on talking about Hindu weddings here on Common Threads for many months. But this year has been a challenging one for Madhu. She's been on the winning end of a battle with cancer. Her treatments are now over, and she's getting back into the swing of things. Since we were in Bombay in the fall of 2000, she had to return and immediately start planning for the wedding of her daughter, which happened in June of 2001. So she is pretty much an expert in the field these days. Before we start our conversation, let me just mention that Madhuri is a fellow member of the Board of Directors of the Interfaith Dialogue Association and has been very active in the past in the planning and execution of our annual fall conferences. And now that she's back into good health, we are expecting her to return to those activities. She's also lectured at schools and churches throughout the Grand Rapids area on the traditions of India and Hinduism. And uh, welcome, Madhuri. Oh, thank you very much. Long time. We... we probably spoke about this of a year ago, you and I getting into the studio and uh, discussing Hindu weddings. And I was busy with other things, but I'm done now. So. Yes, I'm very happy about that. Uh, the first question that comes to mind is, you lived in India certainly for most of your life, and then you came over here in what year? I came here in 69. Okay, so between 1969 and now, I know that you've been to a number of Western weddings, either Christian or yes. Jewish. Having grown up going to primarily Hindu weddings and then seeing what happens in uh, Christian weddings, and you mentioned uh, to me that you've been to one Jewish wedding, do you notice any significant uh, uh, differences in intent? I, I, I'm not talking about the oh. ceremony right now because obviously they're worlds apart, but in terms of what a wedding means, what marriage means, do you think that uh, the Hindus and the Christians and the Jews are all on the same page, or do you see any difference at all in, in you know, as I say, what it really means? No, I think what it really means ideally is the same, or as I say, should be the same for everyone. As far as, you know, what, what are we trying to do when we get married? What are we looking for? What are we willing to give? What are we willing to take? Mm -hmm. you know, and what the other person is willing to do the same for us or not. Right. But, uh, for example, now in a Hindu wedding, it's not a contract, but it's a sacrament. It's one of the 16 major sanskaras or sacraments that we Hindus call, and wedding is one of the most important one. And that means that it's not, a, it's, 
it's something that you are, it's a lifelong commitment. It's not something you're going to be married for a little while and then, oh, I, I don't get along with you and I'm going to leave you. It's something that you're just consciously striving uh, to do a good job at that. And that's, that's a Hindu marriage. So it's taken, it's done with a seriousness. It's you know, pre kind of, you think about it. A lot of thought is given, into, given to that and then it's, then it's committed to, you know, the marriage is, takes place after that. In India, I'm assuming there is an option for people who are more secular if they want to get, if they want to do the, uh, the same thing as we would, uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, going down to the uh, justice of the peace or a judge, you could do that if you wanted to yes. in India, correct, yes. and they have do, a civil they, ceremony. They do, they do, some people do. Uh, but that happens when, say, for example, the parents are not involved mm -hmm. in the whole process and it's against the wishes of the parents, mostly right. it's done then. If it's something that is in agreement with everybody, with the whole families on both sides, then they will just have a proper religious ceremony. Now, I was going to ask you as well, uh, just exactly how do couples couple? That is to say, uh, and I realize that there are uh, variations from family to family, uh, perhaps even from area to area in, in India. Yes. But primarily, what happens, uh, and let me stop you uh, for a second, I think traditionally we understand that marriages are arranged, but I don't think a lot of people in the West really understand what that arrangement, what, what all goes into that. Okay, arranged marriage, for example, uh, means that the family looks at the background of both the boy and the girl. They will look at the compatibility, you know, of their education, you know, standards, then of course the standards of the families too. Uh, for example, if one somebody is very, very poor, marrying somebody very, very rich, and vice versa, it's going to be a real problem. Adjustments for them is going to be a real problem. So all these things are taken into account. You know, the the religion, of course, obviously of the people, and then the you know their their family backgrounds, and then uh, what their status is, and you know education standards and what uh, work they do, everything is taken into account. And the family, I mean, parents always think that they know better or more than the children do. So they think that th they should be selecting the, you know, husband or wife for the children. And when does this happen normally? This happens, you, they try to wait till the, so if he's a boy, then his education is finished and he is well on his path to his, into his career, because then he can support his wife. If he's not, if he's you know very very young, then he then the parents has to have to support his wife. Now, back a century or two ago, was it not common for uh, uh, families to betroth their daughters at a very very young age? Not that they would be married necessarily, but that they'd pretty much have all of that sewn up. Yeah, they they had that early on that they you know when they were pretty young, if they knew a family and they say, oh, in ten years your son will marry my daughter, or something like that. They did that. And they waited till they were grown up, you know, and both were mature, to actually carry out the ceremony at that point. But that isn't done too much to uh, you No, know. it's not. It's not. Because now, especially in the cities, uh, everybody waits till they are grown up. And, you know, and cities more and more, uh, it's not arranged marriages, but it's more like what we call in India a love marriage. Means that you know the boys and the girls or young men and women are going to uh, co schools and colleges, and they meet somebody there, 
and get to know them and they even would date them and then they you know decide that oh this is the person we want to spend our life with mm -hmm. so that's being done more and more uh, in the cities tell us about your wedding uh, when did you meet your husband Chaitanya? Yeah, as you know, I said arranged marriages can also be when you're introduced to your husband, your prospective, you know, husband or wife. And that's exactly what happened in my case. That the families knew each other, my family and my mother, uh, mother's family and uh, uh, my husband's family, they knew each other. So then he was visiting, he was already in, in the country and he was visiting India. And they said, this is this nice young man. Visiting India, meaning he was living in the United States? He was time? already, yes, yes. Okay. So then they say he's visiting India, so let's just, you know, why don't you meet him and see if you, you know, if you consider this is a good idea or not. So that's how it happened. So in this case, the family was very involved, but not to the point where you woke up one morning and your mother said, Oh, Madhuri, we met a nice boy for you. You're going to get married next Saturday. No, it did not, they have not done that for a long, long time in India because, you know, people have the, this wrong notion about arranged marriages saying that when somebody says, your family or your father, for example, says that you are marrying this person, you have to marry him come, you know, hell or high water. It's not like that. You have the choice to say, no, I know I'm not interested, or yes, you know, I'll think about it, or, you know, yes, I'm definitely going to do this. So that's exactly what happened in my case, too. I wasn't, you know, not forced into anything. It was always my choice. At that time, uh, how old were you? I was 22. And were you looking to get married at that time? Were you thinking this yes, is about I'm, the right yeah, age for me? Yeah, because, in a, you know, maybe in a couple of years would be a good time. So it just happened to be a little bit earlier than that, but that was all right. And uh, am I assuming that uh, you both had your charts done? Is that, is that an imp still an important... No, actually, we didn't. Ours were not done at all. Uh, they, that's commonly done in, this, uh, in the south of India. It's more commonly done. But I would say, I take that back. It's usually done a lot commonly. That astrologer is called upon, and he will look at you know, the planetary configuration at the time of the uh, boy's you know, birth and the time of the girl's birth and compare the charts and whether they're compatible or not. And then that's how they so often do that. And you never had yours done. No, mine was done at some point, but it never, they were never compared. So how do you know you have a good marriage? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well it worked out really well, so that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, then I'm assuming that you had the same traditional wedding that I saw your son go through and your daughter go through. Right. Would, would the essential, essentials that you, you know, the main parts of the ceremony are always the same. Other things may change, but the main parts are the same, and they all all the Hindu marriages or weddings take place like that. Okay, uh, I know another thing uh, that Westerners often question when talking about weddings in India, and that's the subject of dowry. Can you speak to that? Did you have a dowry? Uh, what what part does that play, if any? There was no dowry as in my uh, my wedding or marriage at all. Because uh, the fa our families do not believe in that. Because, you know, he said, you are getting a wonderful, you know, daughter-in-law. They would say, we, that's all we want. We don't want anything else from the girl's parents. But there is, you know, and the custom has been out, I mean, by law, there is no dowry. But I'm sure it, it still takes place. Right. Yeah. When, when I was in uh, Bangalore after your son's wedding in Mumbai, uh, Teresa and I were walking 
down uh, the, the thoroughfare there and noticed a store, an emporium, and it was called uh, something like the, uh, the dowry store. But, and that was a bit of a misnomer because uh, the proprietor there used some of the profits of the sales to work against dowry, to eliminate dowry from, from Indian culture. And he even told me that it spanned uh, various religions, that it wasn't just a Hindu thing. Yeah. He, he himself was a Muslim. Okay. And he said that uh, you would find Muslim and Christian families as well. So it t- seems to be more of a yeah, cultural yeah. thing. It's, it's more of, it, it is a cultural thing. But I think, you know, to go back a little bit, if you may, uh, dowry is really essentially started out with a very good concept. It is that what happened is that being the patriarchal system in India as it is in most of the world, that you all the property and land went to the sons. So you never really, the, the daughters never got any of those. So when the daughter got married, they would give all this jewelry and clothing and all these things to the daughter so that that was in lieu of her getting the property, the family property. So it started out with a very good idea. And somewhere along the line, it just kind of deteriorated into this a thing that we call dowry and has a bad connotation at this time. Mm-hmm. So, but it did start with a very, very good idea. I know that when I got married, I haggled with my father-in-law. He was going to give me a, a 1975 Bonneville. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, didn't work out that way. You said no, thank you. Yeah, that's. <laughs> he just wanted to get it off the blocks yeah. uh, in front of his lawn. Mm. Uh, so you were saying that uh, again, going back to your to your wedding, uh, that you had the choice whether or not you wanted to marry Chaitan. You had a traditional uh, wedding, yes. and that wedding, like the one that I saw, I'm assuming lasted several days. The festivities last several days. I, I mean, yeah, it it did, but it was one of the, uh, it didn't take place over that many days because we were trying to do things in a somewhat of a hurry. So when because since he had to come back come back to America too. Right. So we had, you know, a couple of parties, like a you know, party that we that uh, my husband's family had and then the mehendi and you know all those things we had and then the wedding itself, the reception after the wedding, we had all those things. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about uh, the various things. When I landed in, in Bombay that day, I had already missed one party. Is it normally four days? Is there something special? Yeah, they about will keep you know planning something like there'll be a cocktail party or there's a you know the Gujaratis that's the people that live in the western part of the country have something called garba. Mm-hmm. Is it dance? You know, in circle people will be in circle and dancing. So there's a dance night. Then there is a cocktail party. There may be some other dinners involved. Some puja will be puja would be involved too, and then you know cocktail parties or. Uh, Mehendi is, you know, the henna that they put on the brides. Let's talk um, about uh, the mehendi for a minute. Uh, it was interesting because the men also attended the luncheon. Right. And then the men basically either sat in the back of the room or left. Or the, or the left, yes. While the women have, it's, it's almost like a wedding shower. Right. And that is when uh, traditionally the bride gets her, her gifts, is that correct? Some of our gifts, like the ones that we had given to our daughter-in-law, we had brought some of them, you know, at that time. Mm-hmm. Her, you know, clothing and you know, her the costumes and her jewelry that we were giving her. And 
what I noticed is you you put her up on something like a throne. I mean, not really, but yeah. tell us about about that. So she is, you know, you're, that essentially means that you are, you know, giving importance to her because it really those days are the bride's days that you know you're giving importance and you know those are the big big events in her life. So that's what essentially you're doing by giving her elevated position. And people come and offer her presents one by one. I right. That was, it was very it was elegant n- ceremony. Yes, they, they, it was very nicely done. Yeah. yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU Radio. I'm Fred Stella, and today we're talking about Hindu weddings and marriage. My guest today is Madhuri Acharya. And then let's talk about Mendy. I, I know most Westerners have no idea what, what that is. Yeah, it's, you know, henna is a plant that believes when you uh, press them, it has color. It has, you know, a color that, that is like reddish, um, orangish color. So what they do is the leaves are taken, they're dry, they're powdered, and then they are soaked again. The dry powder is soaked, and some other things like lemon juice and tea leaves and other things are put into it to give it a better, darker color. And that is put into like tubes or little cone-shaped things with a hole. And then there are experts, these women that are trained in putting mehendi on. And then they, you know, you do pay, pay them handsomely for putting on the mehendi. And all the important women at that time will put the mehendi on, the bride, bride sisters, bride sisters-in-laws, mothers, aunts, all the important women on both sides will put the mehendi on at that time. Yeah, it, it's like a temporary tattoo. It's like, a t- yeah, it is. It'll stay for, oh, no more than two to three weeks or even less than that. Right. And it's, you know, it's, you have to wait for it to dry on your hands and you keep it on for several hours and then wash it off. And yeah, <laughs> Teresa just absolutely loved it. She loved it, I know, know that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if, if I remember correctly, when someone first started working on her, they did something very plain, very basic, mm-hmm. uh, thinking that because she was American, she wouldn't appreciate having something elaborate. But then somebody, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, said, no, no, give her the works. Give her the works. <laughs> <laughs> she might as well have it the whole, you know, Absolutely. go all out, you know. Yeah, and it was a very beautiful design. Yeah. And, and in looking at the pictures of your daughter-in-law, the the first thing that, I think of when I see how her her hands and all the way up to all the her way up arms, to almost up to the not the elbow but quite quite a ways up right on both sides but on you know she she looks like she's wearing delicately laced gloves yes I mean the the, the work is so intricate this and lovely it is designs are really intricate and you know scrolls and you know or flower designs or little little you know geometric you know designs all kinds of things are there. And they do it on the feet, too. It's done on the feet as well as the arms and hands of the bride. And then um, after Mendy, again, uh, the dance party, you say, where they do traditional stick dancing? Yes. And what is that called? A garba. A garba. Garba and ras. Garba is, uh, you know, and ras is the one with the sticks, too. And um, garba. Garba could be slower or faster, and ras is mostly fast. Now let's go to the day of the wedding. Uh, where is the bride? No, I'm sorry. I missed one important uh, element, and that would be prior to the wedding day. There's a puja done. Is it? Uh, or a pu- is a puja done at both the home of the bride and the groom? Yes, certain pujas. Uh, we will talk 
a little more about that when we go into the actual ceremony. But certain pujas are done ahead of time. Otherwise, the wedding ceremony itself would be really, really lengthy if you did all the pujas on that, on that day. And a puja, again, is, is a series of rituals. Rituals, blessing yes. Blessings and, you know, uh, for peace and for harmony and um, for, you know, proper environment for the actual ceremony and praying for all that is the wedding, I mean, the rituals. And, and this is done, uh, again, uh, and I felt very honored because we were the only two family, we were the only two non-family members at this. So normally this is a rather intimate gathering. You don't yeah, invite I, all the no. fam, uh, extended family or friends. It's just the immediate family Just the immediate usually. family, yes, yes. You could invite people too, but then that'll become, then you have to have a, you know, since the house is not that, not that big. Right. You would need a place, rent out a place for that too. So they just do it in the within the family. And so while you were hosting the puja for your son, they were hosting a puja for their daughter. Is that? They had they had some other puja that done that day too, but they had some other puja done few days before that also. I see. Yeah. Okay. And so now we'll get into uh, to the wedding itself. So what happens on the wedding day? Uh, even before mm. the ceremony, where is the bride? Where is the groom? Well, the groom is in his, you know, in his own house with his family, and the bride is in her, you know, own home. And they are, you know, you get up early in the morning, and start, you know, your bathing ritual and your, uh, you know, getting everything ready for the day, all the outfits and everything. And uh, the the bride is really made up really elaborately at that time. She has to really be, elab- you know elaborate makeup and everything is done for on her. And uh, there are lots of people around, lots of women around her that help to get her ready because you don't expect her to do anything on by herself. People have to help her get ready. Mm-hmm. So that's how they start out. And then, um, then for the Bharat, um, Bharat is the procession that the groom goes into the marriage hall or the marriage where the marriage is supposed to take place. Now, is she already in the marriage hall? Uh, she would, yeah, she would be there. She came with her family, and she would be th- the bride would be there already. Okay, she so from what I recall, of course, the, the groom coming to the to the hall mm-hmm. was a big deal. Was a big deal, right? But now her going to the hall prior to him, that's not with a parade and all that. No, right? no, she, they just no go because there. they are the hosts. I see the bride's bride and her family, or the bride's family, her parents, and the, you know all the the family members. They are the ones who are welcoming the bridegroom and his family, who are the guests of honor. So that's a big deal that they are coming. The guests are coming into the, into the, not the if it's a big house and it could be at the, their home too, mm-hmm. but very often they rent out hotels or big place, big halls, marriage halls. I was surprised yeah. when I went there. I was just assuming that this would take place in a temple, but they don't, do they? No, no, sometimes it, it happens, but the temple may not have that much room. But usually they would just have it in a hall, in a big hotel or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Right. Or sometimes even outdoors, too. They'll have a tent set up and then have the wedding ceremony in the tent. Okay. So the, the uh, groom and everyone on his side uh, meets, uh, what, about a block away or so? Yeah, we met a you know, little bit away from there, and we had those uh, called the band. It's a marching band. I it's mean, a marching it, band. <laughs> and with the uniforms and everything, yes, they yes. look like they came from the Rose yeah, Bowl. Yeah, and they had those, you know, all their um, drums and 
all the other you know wind instruments and all the instruments that they have and uh, it's fun and then people are people in the front dance or even you know so we enjoy doing that too actually and um i know that I, i've always heard that the the groom makes his entrance either on a horse or an elephant but uh, sanjeev kind of uh <laughs> decided to compromise Com- a little he bit. came in a car <laughs> No, they do that. They come either on a horse or I don't know about an elephant, but you know, mostly on a horse uh-huh. or even in a, you know, well-decorated car is what we had for him. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, the men uh, put on turbans, which uh, yes, which yes, was very just fun. look distinguished looking. You know, it looks colorful and distinguished, yes. and they stand out that these are the you know, bridegroom's family. These but are the. Boys, boys, people. Yeah, know. another honor that was bestowed upon me is uh, the the family members, the the men were all getting turbaned up, and you have to hire a professional turban right, tire right, right for that because it's complicated. It's complicated, and you may not know how to actually put it on. Right, yeah. right, and then after all the family members were uh, were all turbaned up, uh, I think your husband says, "Okay, it's Fred's turn," <laughs> 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 and you didn't have to ask me twice. No. <laughs> In all red and colorful, you know. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And uh, then the parade down to the down to the hall, right? Yeah, and they were all, you know, standing there, waiting to welcome us. So that's you know. And uh, uh, well, you know what? Because we're going to get into a lot of the intricacies of the ritual, mm-hmm. but we're running out of time for this show. So I'm going to ask you to continue this next week. Okay. And we'll find out just exactly what happens. It's very fun, and there's uh, some very humorous elements that go along with uh, the, the marriage right. ceremony as yeah. well. It's yeah. very great. Yeah. <laughs> well, Madhuri Acharya, thank you so much for being with us this week and uh, just uh, letting us in on some of the uh, uh, fun aspects of Hindu weddings, and we will continue this conversation next week. You're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU, 1480 AM, 88.5 FM. Please join us next week. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. I'm Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads here on WGVU Radio. Occasionally, here on Common Threads, 
We like to look at the various customs that define a religion. Certainly one of the most important rituals in any culture or faith is the wedding. Talk about a common thread. There's no religion in the world that does not solemnize the union of a man with a woman or women. It is universally considered a sacred bond. Well, last week we began a conversation with Madhuri Acharya on the rites, blessings, and customs of Hindu weddings. As I mentioned last week, I had the good karma to attend both the wedding of her eldest son in Bombay, which is now called Mumbai, and her daughter's nuptials in Saugatuck just a few months later. Both events were elegant and colorful beyond description. So let's continue talking with Madhuri Acharya, who I'm proud to say sits on the board of directors of the Interfaith Dialogue Association with me and has been active with us for many years. And um, last time when we left off, we were talking about the parade. First of all, welcome, Madhuri. (laughs) Hello. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks. I just have so many questions. We want to get to them. Uh, When we left off last week, we were talking about the parade that uh, accompanies the groom to the wedding hall. And the groom is met by the bride's family. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what happens at that point and what is the significance. Okay, the, the groom is uh, welcomed by the bride's mother. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, or if there is no, you know, otherwise uh, another female family member. And uh, she puts a tilak, is uh, anointing the forehead with a red powder and uh, in the, on the forehead and performs an arati sometimes and sometimes not. Arati is the light, the, the you know, little uh, wick that is put in a little uh, container. A little oil lamp. little oil lamp and in a thali is a plate, the silver plate that they have. And if not, if the arati is not performed, still the silver plate is there with other things in there that are used for welcoming the bridegroom. And um, then she reminds him of the responsibilities of family life and she playfully uh, pulls his nose also. And the priest is standing right there next to the bride's mother, telling her exactly what to do. Why does she pull Which was his a nose? big thing for me. And then my <laughs> daughter got married because, you know, at that point I was pretty nervous. Yeah, uh-huh. So the priest was telling me, do this and do that. So that was fine. And why do you pull his nose? Uh, that uh, just, just playfully that, see, now you had to come and, you had to come and get a daughter. Ah. You know, so, okay. so now, you, now you be a responsible husband. And take take good care of our daughter here. So I see. It's kind of like a little warning. Little warning, little warning. Yeah, yeah. And then after the you know after that is all done, sometimes the girl, the bride will come and comes at that time, and she has a garland of flowers, an elaborate garland of flowers that she puts around the neck of the uh, bridegroom, and he in turn would do the same. And that's done. Otherwise, that can also be done a little later on. But very often it's done at the time when the bridegroom enters the marriage hall for the wedding itself. Okay. Yeah. Now, we wanted to get to the actual puja or ceremony. And you had something that... Uh, actually, this was read at your daughter's wedding. Am I correct? Yeah. That this explains was, this was it. Printed out and then given to people so they could... They could read about it. Okay, you can share uh, that. This with is the introduction. Then. Would you like me to read sure. the introduction? Okay. Uh, the traditional Indian wedding customs were formulated more than 5,000 5, years ago. Each ceremony and each ritual has a deep philosophical meaning and purpose. 
the ceremony is usually performed in Sanskrit, which is the oldest living language in the world. In Hinduism, marriage is viewed more as a sacrament rather than as a contract. It is viewed as the beginning of a responsible and purposeful life. A Hindu marriage is a, long, is a lifelong commitment of a wife and husband. It is the strongest bond that takes place between a man and a woman in the presence of their parents, relatives, friends and society. Hinduism views marriage as a means for spiritual growth. Husband and wife are soul, soulmates who, through the institution of marriage, can direct the energy associated with their individual instincts and passions into the progress of their souls. Family life is a training ground for a man and a woman to practice divine love through human, human love, consideration of others, forgiveness, respect, kindness and self-control. These spiritual qualities, when developed, contribute towards a happy marriage. The recognition of the spiritual ideal requires that the couple recognize marriage as a permanent lifetime relationship. Hinduism believes that marriage is not an experiment but an irrevocable commitment. In order to satisfy such a commitment, a couple must be ready, willing and able to subordinate their individual interest and inclinations to the larger ideal of reflecting God's unconditional love through lifelong companionship. Hindu philosophy recognizes the natural differences in taste, temper, ideals and interest of the individuals. The Hindu ideal of the institution of marriage is to reconcile these differences to promote a harmonious life. The Hindu marriage is solemnized in the presence of God as represented by the five elements of nature fire, earth, water, air and light. These five elements play an integral part in the marriage ceremony. Okay, that's that's yeah. a wonderful introduction yeah. and uh, that really meant a great deal to those of us who were sitting and watching your, your daughter get married. Uh, it's interesting that I came away with knowing more about the ceremony when I was there for your daughter's wedding in Sagatak than I did when I was at your son's ceremony in Mumbai. And there's a reason for that because, you know, uh, the Hindus in India would know so many things to begin with. You know, as Hindu, I mean, uh, they, they are in India where Hinduism is practiced so widely. But here, people, not, people do not know as much as some of the people in India could know, or they could know more, but it's better for people that are not even Hindus to to read this and to know this so they know what the significance of a Hindu wedding, exactly. a Hindu marriage. Exactly. Okay, let's go right into the ritual. Uh, the the groom is welcomed in. Mm -hmm. They're placed on the on the the raised uh, platform. Right. And what happens? The first, I'll, I can tell you the what what we have here is Madhu Park, then Mangalashtak, Gotrochar. I can go on that one by one. Madhu Park is that something sweet is given uh, to the the, the groom's feet are first washed by the bride's um, mother or the bride's father. And this really is welcoming him and giving him the respect due to him. Uh, and then a mixture of yogurt and honey is fed to him, just, just a little teaspoon or two teaspoons of that, uh, while the priest chants a uh, prayer so that the groom may imbibe the sweetness and purity of the yogurt and the honey. Uh, this is called Madhu Park. Madhu means honey. Meanwhile, the, fa the bride's sisters uh, 
what they try to do, this is the fun part that, that you talked about earlier. They try to steal the, the, bri- the bridegroom's shoes right. and hide them. Yes. And yes. of course, the, brides, the bridegroom's brothers or other male members, the younger male mem- members, will try to find those shoes. And this goes through the whole, like, you know, through the whole ceremony for the hour or two that ceremony is going on. They try to hide it, and towards the end of the ceremony, they will, they'll say, okay, we'll buy back the shoes. So and in the they'll keep on saying that the, the, girls, the girls will keep saying that oh, more money we want. We, are not going to, <laughs> we won't sell for so much. We want so much money for it. It's just the fun part of it. Yeah, in, in the midst of all this uh, piety and solemnity, <laughs> the, this, this uh, element of humor takes place. It's just marvelous. It is. It is. And, and you know, one of the things about weddings in India is that there's so much fun. Nothing is, re- nothing is rehearsed. Something is formal. It just keeps happening. And people around, all the people that are around there keep having fun. And they just enjoy it so much. Exactly. So that's what is fun about fun in India, too. Sure. Okay, so you can go on. With and the then the next one is the Mangalashtak. Ashtak means eight. Mangal means sacred or holy. And the, in the, the priest will uh, invoke blessings, God's blessing, divine beings' blessings on the bride and the bridegroom for the upcoming ceremony that is to be performed. And shlokas or the religious verses are recited, and he will he will eight verse, verses at that point are recited to welcome and to start begin the ceremony of the wedding. And then uh, this is the time when the bride also arrives at the mandap, and she is traditionally accompanied by her maternal uncle, her mother's uh, brother, and of course my daughter was accompanied by her brothers. That she you know. I don't have a brother, so then she said, my, I want my brothers to bring me there. So she was like brought by her brothers. But this is the time when the bride is brought into the mandap. Now mandap is of, uh, like a canopy with four posts and elaborately decorated. And in the center of that is a little, um, in India it's more elaborate, but the fire is lighted and invoked in the middle of the mandap. And the priest is there, and there are seats set up already for the, uh, bride's mother and father, because they are the ones performing the ceremony for the wedding. And there is a seat for the bridegroom and his best man, usually his brother or uncle or uh, brother-in-law, and s- seats are provided for them. And another seat is already provided for the... These seats are elaborate also, provided for the bride. This is the time the bride comes in, accompanied by her uncle, and there is an antarpat, is a veil between, that is going to be kept between the bride and the bridegroom. Because he's not supposed to see her. Which is very similar to in the Western tradition, which I haven't seen it in forever. Mm. But uh, back uh, a couple of decades ago, the the bride would have a veil over her face. Mm -hmm. And then after they are legally married, the groom is able to lift up the veil on the face and kiss the bride. Right. Right. So this is very similar to that. Yeah, and of course in India, when they were the saris, the elaborate, you know, very beautiful saris they wear for the actual ceremony the bride wears. And now that is taken over her head. And then in the, in the olden days, we had not done that. Even I did not get married like that. That was pulled over the front of the face. So the face was hidden. But nowadays they don't do that. They just you know, cover the head partially. And this antarpat or the veil is placed in between uh, the uh, bride and the groom. And then the priest is continuously saying the, Religious, ver- religious verses, and the bride comes into the uh, mandap. Okay. That is the second uh, part of it. Okay, then then the priest will, uh, priest says the 
whose daughter she is, whose granddaughter she is, so family, uh, you know, ancestors are, you know, Know, invoked, invoked, mm-hmm. and that this is this one's daughter, this one's granddaughter, and same for the bridegroom that he's this one's son, this one's grandson, and just to introduce basically introducing the bride and the groom. And then uh, another one of the one of the things I don't know if it's done, it may be done in some cultures or not, is tying off uh, the the bridegroom. The groom has a little um, case or a little scarf-like thing that is around his neck. And end of that is tied to the end of the sari of the girl. Oh, okay. sari of course being the six-yard material, beautiful material that is, that is wrapped around the right. bride. And the end of that is tied to the end of the uh, scarf, long, big scarf that the the boy has, the groom has. Now, this is this I- in uh, lieu of tying the cord. To the hands, to the wrists, which, which I saw done, or, or no, that is in addition to that. It, okay. In addition to that, 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 this is this has to be done, as tied there, and then this is just just saying that you'll be spending, from now on, you'll be spending your life together, and you are as one instead of two people. So basically, signifying that, um, and that you should be caring and you know loving each other from now on and everything. The next one is very one of the most important points is. Kanya Dan, Kanya meaning girl or daughter, and Dan means giving, giving of your daughter. And this is where the bride's parents have a little ceremony and give, promise to give their daughter in marriage to this young young man. And they have brought her up with so much love and affection, and they're hoping that the bride, the groom's family, will also love her, and respect her, and take care of her with, with affection. And that's that's kanyadan, and hastamela uh, means giving of the bride the bride girl's hand into the boy's hand, and then this is that no I'm taking your hand in marriage, but this is signifying that, and the, a cloth is beautiful cloth is covering their hands, so the hands are there and the its cloth is covering that. This is called hasta hasta means hands, melap means to meet, so hasta This is what's done at that time, which is also. Uh, Related to how we say in the West that uh, a man would like the hand of a woman in marriage, right? And who gives this, you know, you know, bride to be or this girl to be married to this this young woman to be married to this young man, right? And how the you know the bride's the girl's father says I do and her mother does, you know. Exactly. I've seen that happen. So it's it's the same it's the same concept. That is the same concept, yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association, and my guest is Madhuri Acharya, who also sits on the board of directors of IDA, and today we're talking about Indian weddings. Uh, so the the bride, excuse me, the, um, the mother and father have just given the bride away uh, in our ceremony, the, the, the hands are united, mm-hmm. and you can take up from there. Okay, and then the next one is called Mangal Fera. Mangal means again sacred or, you know, uh, holy. Fera means going around in circles. Now, fire, we did not mention that, but fire in a Hindu wedding ceremony, fire is essential, central to the whole ceremony. Uh, and fire is a witness to the ceremony. So this fire is lighted now. And this is in preparation for the, you know, circling of the fire by the bride and the groom. And uh, it's done four times. Four times. reason for that is, one is for 
religion one is for prosperity one is for desires and the next one is for last one is for salvation and the three times the bride goes around first and the last time the groom goes goes around first so each time they make a circle and come back and sit down on their seats and then some more prayers and verses are recited and then again they go around one more times and during this time also the the bride's brothers come and give give her rice puffed rice that she puts into the fire each, each time and this is where you know is that rice. is that fertility it's know? rice um is a lot of significance rice uh, has significance for from ancient times but since we had agriculture rice is an important crop so the significance of that is prosperity fertility all the good things that rice signifies more than any other grain okay yeah so yeah and then the four times that they that i said about you know going around the fire four times this is one of the central uh, aspects or rituals of a hindu wedding ceremony is going around the fire and then the next step is called saptapadi sapt means seven and padi means steps and this i will read this too because this is so very important and this is the bride and the groom together take seven steps they take one step and then say a promise to each other they take the second one and go on like that till all the seven steps are taken and i will read this to you and the seven um, the seven vows are together we will live with honor and respect and provide the nourishment of life then second together we will support and offer mental and spiritual strength and courage to each other three together we will prosper and share the gift of life four together we will fill our hearts with happiness peace and mutual love and trust five together we will raise a healthy and happy family filled with children six together we will share in the pains and pleasures of life and seven together we will be true equal partners and our and our and our life will be an eternal friendship filled with perpetual happiness and love so these are the seven steps to take and to me as a hindu um and having observed so many wedding ceremonies these two things the you know the mangal fera going around the fire and the seven steps together are the most important aspects of the ritual itself yeah they do seem very powerful in yeah. witnessing yeah. them and then of course the mangal sutra is again the holy necklace it's a um, necklace made out of black beads tiny black beads and maybe a diamond pendant or sil- gold pendant not silver gold and that is the next step that the bride the groom puts it around the bride's ne- neck and then sindoor is the red powder that he puts in her parting in her hair and that signifies that now she's a married woman this is like what exchanging of a ring would be in a christian wedding mm-hmm. exchanging of the rings with the same significance now do your children wear wedding rings Um, they 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 wear wedding rings i mean they had the engagement rings both both the girls do with with yeah. then that is not part of indian custom that was more that is more western. like it's it's westernized but now in india and everything being global and instantaneous and you know sure. how everything travels from one place to the other so it's sure. a western custom that has been adopted by indians in the cities mainly in the you know but now in uh 
Christian weddings, I know like the rings are blessed. The rings are a part of the ceremony. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that even if they wear rings, it's not a part of the no, ceremony. No, it's not. Okay. No, it's not. Just the Mangal Sutra is and the putting of the red powder in the parting is. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are five. Uh, after that is five married women come up to the mandap, uh, to the canopy, mm -hmm. and uh, they bless the bless the bride and the groom for a happy, long and happy married life. That is the next step. And then, of course, then afterwards, there's a blessing. The newlyweds go around um, seeking blessings from all the elders in the family. They touch their feet as a, as a mark of respect, and they ask for blessings. And that's when everybody in the family, the mother, mother father, the grandparents, and other uncles and aunts, all, all the elders bless them at that time. And is that the end? That is the end, except that this is the time when you're going to, uh, it's called Vidai, means really farewell. And this is also very touching. This is the, one of the, another touching and emotional part of the ceremony. The wedding ceremony ends with a touching and emotional farewell to the daughter. The bride now begins a new phase of her life as a wife and becomes an integral part of the groom's family. She throws a fistful of rice to ensure her childhood home remains prosperous and happy. So this is, and this is, you know, at that time everybody's crying sure. and the girl is crying because she's, you know, and in the olden days it meant so much more because if she's going away to another village oh. and she may not see her family for a long, long time. So for her, everything is new, going to a new family right. and living with new people. Now, one of the other things that really hit me, and this is very funny, when I was in Bombay, and that is I walk into the to the uh, wedding hall. We just come from the parade. I sit down, and, of, of course, I'm in a very, uh, oh, what's the word? I'm in a very contemplative mood, I guess. I'm going to watch this beautiful ceremony. And I'd seen a Hindu wedding, I think, once before, but it was a, an abbreviated Hindu wedding here in Grand Rapids. And I'm there sitting down, and lo and behold, no one around me is paying any attention to all <laughs> of this wonderful stuff you're telling us about. They're just jabbering, and, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and a waiter comes and offers me an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> you know, we here in the West, we wait until God knows we've been without food for three or four hours, and finally we're starving, and somebody opens up the, uh, the hors d'oeuvre line. Yes. And here in India, it's like, we well, don't, we don't stop eating for anything. Right, so it's like, you know, been there, done that kind of thing, you know. Yes. But, you know, they have, they have done, they've seen it so many times. And, so, and uh, from what I've heard, that there's a wedding season. Yeah, because they look at the, you know, the, uh, yeah, like, I know December is November, December, winter months are good months. Mm -hmm. And there are certain times when the astrologically it's not a, supposed to be a good time. You know, they always look at the configuration of the planets. So that's the, not a good time for the ceremony. Then they try not to do it at that time. So there's always a good season, like a wedding season. Right. So yeah. my point is that I've heard that some people go to weddings like three in a day or something Yeah, like because that. that's the time when so many of the weddings are taking place. So they'll make a quick stop at one and then the next and the next. Right. Mm. Did you not tell me, tell me I'm not making this up, that the notion of inviting all of the friends and family to the actual ceremony is a relatively new invention? Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, someone told me 
that years and years ago, the friends and family wouldn't be invited, the extended family I'm talking about, and, and friends, wouldn't be invited to the main puja of, of what you've all described, the ceremony. They'd be invited to the festivities afterwards. Afterwards. But not to watch that. So right. More people would be invited to the reception, what we call a reception afterwards, which is a dinner, you know, an yes. elaborate dinner that takes place after the wedding. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this notion of people, uh, um, of a congregational wedding where people are sitting and watching, that's kind of new. It, it, yeah, there still will are many people there. It's not like, you know, there won't be, there are not people, there are people there. Sure. But there will be many more people at the reception afterwards. That some people, only the intimate family members are there. Right. And the extended family and other, you know, friends will be invited to the reception, the dinner afterwards. Yes. And the festivities afterwards. Uh, do you see any, any more Western influence, for instance, in your daughter's wedding, the fact that it was done here in, in Michigan? Uh, was there any difference, was there any more Western influence than in, in your son's wedding, which took place in India? A little bit with, the, you know, with the choosing of the music and the band and everything. But essentially, I think, I think so much, there's so much of fusion going on. Except for the essential wedding ceremony, there's so much fusion going on that now you see everything everywhere. That's my personal experience. You know what your daughter told me she missed? One thing she loved about Western weddings and that is the minister or priest actually giving a sermon, actually talking about what was happening here and talking about mm -hmm. the, 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 the two kids. She said that uh, she said that, that was an element that she's always envied in right. Western weddings. But in her wedding, you had that gentleman giving the introduction. Giving the introduction, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, she talked about Renu. She talked That's about, right. She talked about the ceremony and the significance of a Hindu uh, marriage. Yeah, that yeah. seemed to take the place of, of what of she that, was yes. talking yeah. about. Right. That's, that's great. That's great. We have two wonderful children. I think that they both uh, ended up with marvelous spouses. I, I know everyone involved here, and I was honored to be a part of, of both ceremonies. And uh, talking to you here just helps me relive the wonderful times we, we mm -hmm. had. Good times together. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Madhuri, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today on Common Threads. And, You're welcome. And uh, we'll have you back again sometime Thanks. soon. Uh, my name is Fred Stella, and this is Common Threads here on WGVU. Please join us again at the same time next week. God bless. Bye-bye. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.